It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joined by Nick Wiggins and we want to welcome you in to another scorching hot edition of the Final Drive. Hope everyone is staying hydrated in all of this heat and of course... If you have not downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, you need to make sure that you do that to any Android or Apple device that you may have because, again, you're able to correspond with us in the app, whether it's the opening kickoff, the final drive, whether you agree with us, whether you disagree, whether you have information that you want to drop, we want to hear from you in the app. And you can download that free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. Of course, you can always call us the old-fashioned way, 251-694-1055-251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on the final drive. And Nick, Monday sure. night football, my brother, it, it was in effect last night. A, lo a lot of firsts last night. First time for the new broadcast team and the first time that the Baltimore Ravens have lost in the preseason since I was in high school. 2015, my senior year of high school. Now, I, I wonder why it is, and, and don't think for one minute that Jim Harbaugh and the Ravens, John, John Harbaugh, excuse me, John Harbaugh, excuse yeah. me, John Harbaugh and the Ravens did not want to win that football game. And when you lose on a 49-yard field goal attempt, it, it's one thing to go ahead and say, look, we just want to get reps and Sam Howell looked phenomenal last night for the Commanders. I say the the Redskins. It's the Commanders uh, that that are always going to be talked about. But Baltimore really wanted the game and, and really wanted to continue that winning streak in the preseason. But if you can have that kind of record in the preseason, what's the deal with the regular season yeah. and postseason? What are you saying? They're they're always good in the regular season. The, the Baltimore Ravens, that is a winning franchise. I, I don't have the numbers, but I would say over the past 15 years, they got to be top five in win percentage. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a matter of, of they're, losing. They're I think the luck. Bengals ha have upped the ante a little bit the yeah, last yeah. couple of years. But as far as a 29-28 to 28 finale there that we saw last night, Joey Sly hits a 49-yard field goal. He and threw up the L. He's throwing up the L, running around. And I think that as you continue to watch the broadcast last night, you look at the new blood that ESPN's bringing in to the Monday Night Football crew, Scott Van Pelt, yep. RG3, Marcus Spears, Ryan Clark. I think they're going to do a good job bringing the game to us, but what is the best all-time Monday night football crew? It, it, do you go back to, to the days of Howard Cosell? 
is is he one that because he started it all was the greatest al michaels and frank gifford or did you like al michaels along with john madden now, i was always a fan of al michaels and john madden That's just myself a classic right there man I, I think when you put those two hall of famers together you're in a win-win situation but who is who are some of the worst monday night football broadcasters that that you've ever heard or seen on tv and who would you love to see calling a Monday night football game? I always liked when Trent Dilfer used to do it back in the day. Uh, they had didn't they have Ray they had Ray Lewis on for a little bit too. I think they might have been kind of there around the same time. I mean, there's been so many people to come through. Let's see. They ha they had Randy Moss not too long ago. I I will say this. I was not a fan of Booger. You not didn't, you a didn't, big you Booger didn't like guy. McFarland. Not the biggest Booger guy personally. So if you Think back to the greatest of all time. Joe Theismann did a, a, a decent job there. Dick Vermeil in his time there as well. But when you look at Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, I, I, I like that combo. I think yeah. they have great chemistry in the booth. And I think that the way that Troy Aikman's able to break down a football game and his experience as a former quarterback is great. Uh, Buck always has been one of my favorites, no matter what sport he's calling. But Monday Night Football really meant something last night is you put a winning streak on the line and all of a sudden now you get beat. And the commanders, they weren't having any of it in the pregame anyway. They were saying, look, this is a streak. We don't we don't really care anything about it. But what do you think is more important? Is it? the games that they play and the scrimmages that they have throughout the week? Or is it the actual television game itself? Because these teams get together and scrimmage one another two and three times prior to right. the game. It, I think that it's the TV game. When the lights are on and the fans are in the stands and the reps are on the field with you, that's where it really matters. I mean, you're going to weigh both of them. I'd say you're probably maybe weigh, weighing it 75-25. Uh, because, you know, the opportunities come few and far between in the actual game. So when you do get them, you got to capitalize on them. But, look, you talk about those camps, uh, you know, throughout the week. And, you know, you see this on hard knocks. So the players, they'll wear these things called the, the guardian cap, right? We all all have seen them. They're those little mattress pads that they put on the helmets. They make them look like little mushroom people running around. So the stats are official. They help reduce concussions by over 50%. I mean, they work. They're, they're ugly, but they work. An NFL official was asked a couple days ago, hey, if a player were to want to wear a guardian cap in the game, we see the stats on why they work, would it be allowed? And the guy said, no, you cannot wear that in an NFL game. So, Corey, I ask you, does that make any sense? No, it does not make any sense. Put the guardian cap in the game. If you want to eliminate the kickoff and are worried about player safety in the NFL or college games, and they're already wearing the guardian cap in practice, in the scrimmages. The only time they're not wearing is during the game. What, what's the difference? I mean, there's no added advantage. It's just extra cushion right. for the head because I, I know that helmets, when I was growing up, 
probably weren't refurbished sure. the way that they were supposed to be year to year when we played park ball growing up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you do look at the padding on the inside of those helmets. That's on the inside. You look at the guardian cap on the outside. And yes, it does look very strange but and unorthodox. But if you're able to go ahead and track the ability of impact, which is what the Guardian cap also allows you to do and provide additional protection for the player. These lawsuits that started right. in the NFL is what really started players even putting on the Guardian cap. Well, and it, they, they said that, you know, hopefully within the next three, two, three, five years, that they're going to take some of the technology that they're learning about with the Guardian cap and implementing that into the helmet. And look, maybe it's all just an aesthetic thing. Like, do you, you want to see the logo? You don't. They do look goofy. I mean, there's no getting around that. But, I mean, if it works, it works. I mean, maybe you even start out saying maybe just those the defensive line and the offensive line wear them. You know, they're the guys that are constantly mashing into each other throughout the game. I don't know. Like, I, I, I just think it's it's a little ridiculous like, hey, we know this works. We know this protects y'all. We're going to make sure you got to use it during every practice, every training camp. Okay, well, can I wear it during the game just to be safe? Oh, no. Don't even don't even think about it. To me, that's kind of where it contradicts itself because if it gave a playing advantage to, to an opponent, you know, they, they used to have – Bubba Smith used to have the head slap from Michigan State. Bubba Smith, of course, from Police Academy fame, and, and he goes on to play in the NFL. And, and Deacon Jones used to have the head slap to where they used to pop you upside your head. Reggie White right. used to hit you with the hump, but Deacon Jones used to hit you with the head slap. So, you know, that's when they put these hands-to-the-face rules into the NFL. But I still say that you have to have the ability to, to – let these players choose whether they have on the guardian cap or not, because the lawsuits ultimately came down and changed the way that football is dictated, especially from a traumatic brain injury standpoint or from a concussion protocol standpoint. You just ask, why was Jameis Winston in the game so long for the New Orleans Saints? Because you had his backup under concussion protocol and couldn't get the reps that he needed. Right. So if it's all about player safety and you're talking about eliminating kickoffs and eliminating contact, uh, I just I'm all for the guardian cap being used in the app Fiducity, You know, he said, it, yeah, it looks goofy, possibly. But think about 50 years ago when there was no face masks, no padding in the helmets. They were just wearing those little leather hats, basically. <laughs> They would think that the helmets we use today look ridiculous, right? So it's all just about safety, and if we kind of know where we're going to end up going and what seems to be working, I don't know why they're so hesitant to not force a change. Uh, but look, man, that's just NFL football for you. And look, when you talk NFL, you got to talk about the greats, and that comes to coaching Bill Belichick, one of the best NFL coaches in history and especially still during our modern era. Now, if I said, who do you think Bill Belichick thinks is tough and gritty and willing to put it all on the line? Who who pops into your head? Tom Brady. Tom Brady, right? Maybe Randy Moss, right? But let's hear what Bill Belichick said recently on a podcast about 
uh, who he thinks is certified tough. Saw a little bit of Taylor. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, she, yeah. killed it. She's tough, man. She just stood <laughs> out there and played right through it. You consider yourself to officially be a Swifty? No. Officially? I don't know about that, but what does that mean? Like you have a, a, a sweatshirt or something? Well, look, I'm definitely on the you got to calm down. <laughs> okay, he's a Swifty. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That like you got to calm down. That's <laughs> Bill Belichick, if you could make out through those mumbles... He's a Swifty. She played through the rain. Bill Belichick is a certified Swifty. Corey, what do you think about that? He said you got to calm down. And, and again, that being one of Taylor Swift's songs. But he sat through one of her concerts in the rain and really enjoyed her putting on. So you, you look at Taylor Swift breaking Ticketmaster, yeah. and you look at Belichick breaking Super Bowl records as far as right. from winning a winning standpoint. Game recognized game, man. It, it, it does. Game recognizes game. And Belichick said it, he's part of the culture. You know, he's not one of those that doesn't understand what the culture is all about and who the culture is and who his players or or his girlfriend or or whomever is listening to. He, he wanted to be part and become a Swifty. That's so, right. And look, I, while, while Belichick is showing love, while Taylor Swift is getting love from the NFL greats, Taylor Swift is not returning that. Taylor Swift was requested and offered to be a part of the Super Bowl halftime show, what's supposed to be, you know, the biggest gig for any performer. Taylor Swift turned it down. She's too big for the Super Bowl halftime show, and she's probably right. I think a lot of people would love to see Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl because you go back and you, you look at infamous Janet Jackson or you look at Beyonce. Beyonce Brun and Bruno. Uh, that was a good one. Performing. I, Taylor Swift, I, I think, would be a great fit for the NFL and, and, and its fans. Now, I, I don't know as far as Belichick saying he wasn't a Swifty. He didn't really deny it. Right. He just threw a name of her song out there to let you know, yeah, I'm not going to say I'm a Swifty, but I can tell you some of her songs that she sings, too. Yeah. You know you know who was an underrated Super Bowl halftime performance? Lady Gaga. She killed that. I, I, I really liked that one. I, I think Lady Gaga had one of the more interesting performances, and she's got some hits on her hands now. Oh, yeah. uh, as far as the entertainment at Super Bowl, that's what it's all about. That's the it, mecca. If you could pick anyone who hasn't performed in the Super Bowl already to perform in this year's halftime show, who, who would you personally want to see up there? That's a great question in regards spot, to, yeah. to, to who it may be. As far as from an artist, I don't think there's just one artist. It would have to be a a probably a combination combo, yeah. of. And I think when you do the combination of artists, it, it, it makes a little bit better. I know Dr. Dre and Eminem and Snoop Dogg, that was probably one of the best Super Bowls that, that I've seen from a collaborative effort standpoint. Of course, Prince in the Rain was pretty good. And. Michael Jackson, of course, his performance was epic in the Super Bowl. But I don't know. It would just have to be a collaborative effort as far as superstars are I concerned mean, just, that I would want to see. Just thinking of, like, some blockbuster names here in the app, Timothy saying Foo Fighters, that would be awesome. That's a classic. You could get a lot of this type of rock bands to come and join and want to be a part of that. 
Maybe you're even doing like a cool Nirvana tribute with that. That would be cool. But just thinking of like big names off the top of my head that are blockbuster and that the NFL would probably want. You know, you got Drake. He hasn't done the Super Bowl halftime. That's a big name. Harry Styles. That's another big guy that's touring around that hasn't done it yet. Uh, I mean, there's options. There's options. I think that they actually are potentially reaching out to Harry Styles. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, Super Bowl, if you're asked to perform, Taylor Swift, one of the few artists who can go ahead and say, nah, I'll go ahead and pass on that. I, I don't need that on my bio or my resume. I'll just continue to break Ticketmaster the regular way instead of at Super Bowl halftime shows. But I, I will say this. It was interesting to hear the GOAT Bill Belichick talk about Taylor Swift for sure. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 returns. This is Andrew Bell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSB 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. And look, you got to get that Mobile app if you want to chime in and be a part of the show because you're definitely going to have something to say about what we're about to discuss here. When you're thinking greatest players in NBA history of all time, of course, you're going to say Jordan. Of course, you're going to say Bill Russell. And look, if you're not saying it, you need to. LeBron is in there without a question. You're talking Tim Duncan. But when you're talking about the greatest point guard of all time, the best point guard of all time, is it Steph Curry? He thinks so, right? Without a doubt. Of course, you have to say yourself, but a lot of other people are agreeing as well. Do you really have to say yourself, though? Do you really? You have to. You have to. If you're in that conversation, it, it, it's part of the swagger of being one of the best. You got to believe you're the best to be the best. Is that or, just a, a slogan? <laughs> because I, when you say, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. To be the man, right. you got to beat the man. Uh, understand when you do beat the man, okay. What, are you you're taking offense to these comments? You're, you're a magic guy, right? I, I, I don't see how as of today, in the end of 2023, uh, right here before the NBA starts back in, in October, that, that you can hear these comments by Steph Curry saying he's the GOAT. Now, he pays respect to Magic Johnson, but to say that you are the GOAT, there's nothing wrong with you. You're gonna, you can be humble as well. Is it true, though? No. It's not? No. What, is he number two? Yes. Behind the, the one he paid homage to in Urban Magic Johnson. Well, look, so, Steph so, Curry changed the game of modern basketball. Magic, Magic changed the game as well. I get that. How many rings does Magic have? Magic, you're looking at being a five-time NBA world champion. Steph's got four. Okay. How many Ma MVPs does Steph Curry have? Two. All right. Magic Johnson with three. <laughs> okay. All right. So if we're in the greatest of all time conversation right now as we speak, you need to supersede someone sure, sure. in certain aspects or expectations. Now, again, 6'9", point guard, Irving Magic Johnson, Showtime era, true point guard at 6'9", 
Now, now I think that's the key. True point guard. When I think Steph Curry, he plays the point guard position. He lines up at the one. But he is not a point guard. The person that really makes that offense hum from that traditional perspective is Draymond Green. He's the one leading your team in assists, getting everyone involved. Now, it only happens because of the way Steph Curry's running around the court, around all those off-ball screens, and because of his threat outside. But if you think about it in a traditional sense, Steph Curry really is more of an elite shooting guard playing the point guard position. So that's why I'm hesitant to say that he is number one. He, he has wizardry with the basketball. He has handles. He has skills. Can't take that away from him. But Magic Johnson, again, is the greatest point guard ever. Ever. I mean, you're talking about a 12-time NBA All-Star. All right? Save Curry's the nothing NBA. wrong with nine-time NBA All-Star because, again, Curry is not anywhere near finished playing but when you look at curry being on the backside of his career do you do you think curry is going to play another 10 years in the nba he's got five in him i think i think he's got five more and and the, the the point is now that magic johnson's numbers aren't going to change they're going to stay where they are that's right Curry has to stay healthy. He has to hope that he plays injury-free basketball. He has to hope that he's healthy when the All-Star Game nominations come around. He has to hope that he can win another NBA World Championship in order to be considered the GOAT. All right, I've got a question for you. We both say it's magic. I agree with you. I'm a a big Magic Johnson guy. I'm going to say it's magic number one. Steph number two. I want to know who's number three. Who is your number three? Point guard? Number three point, greatest point guard of all Man, time. listen, that's easy. Oh, gosh. Okay. Let's say it at the same time. Wait, John what? Stockton. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Point guard, John Stockton. No. Nothing flashy, uh-uh. solid, NBA leader in assist all time facilitator, unselfish member of the dream team. If uh, Listen, know, John Stockton on the dream team. All right, well, I'm going to say something to ruffle some feathers. Go ahead. Depending on what demographics here in this right now. It's Chris Paul, man. <laughs> Chris Paul is great. It's Chris Paul. He's great. It is Chris Paul. Like, look, for the, him and John Stockton have something in common. They ain't ever won anything big. <laughs> but Chris Paul can do a lot more than John Stockton can. The handle's better. The shot's better, right? The passing is pert near the same. He didn't have no Carl Malone to constantly throw to. Now, he did have Blake Griffin in Lob City, but was there ever a Lob City before Chris Paul got there? Look, we think about Chris Paul now, about how he's an old, washed-up man and can't play. Look, I'm already getting told to shut the hell up in the app. I already knew this is rough with some feathers. Look, hey, be on Corey's side. He said your your boy John Stockton, but it's Chris Paul. I would probably even say Isaiah Thomas over John Stockton. Listen, again, did Isaiah Thomas make the dream team? Man, the, let me tell you greatest, why. <laughs> huh? Did he make the that dream team? That was not his fault. He should have. 
Washington. Right, how about this? How many minutes did John Stockton play for the Dream Team? Do we ask he how was, many plays? We're not worried about the minutes. You got to make the roster. Nice and warm. I, I can sit at the nice far end of that bench and not even touch and the floor. I John, made the Dream and Team, and man. John Stockton got a free va- family vacation to Barcelona. That's all he got for the Dream Team, man. That's all he did. Well, well, well. I tell you what, Nick Wiggins. <laughs> I am not. Isaiah Thomas is an outstanding point guard. So let me ask you this. Uh-huh. Isaiah Thomas or Chris Paul? There's a difference between skill and I think, oh, you're the better player and, oh, you are greater and your greatness. I think maybe Isaiah Thomas is a greater player, but I think Chris Paul is a better player. Did that? Did I dodge that enough? Yes, you did. <laughs> Very well, as a matter of fact. Hey, but I tell you who doesn't dodge questions? Our next guest, the guy at the FCS kickoff game, the first football game this Saturday, first college football game to be played here in America. He's from Mobile, Alabama. Brent Deerman, head coach of the North Alabama Lions. We're talking to him right now. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you this afternoon. And want to welcome someone who's no stranger to the Gulf Coast, Brent Deerman. Head football coach at North Alabama. Coach, how's it going, my friend? I tell you what, I need you to introduce me every event I go to. That, that That's phenomenal right there. Coach, I, I tell you, I'll be happy to be your hype man because you're not going to find a bigger hype man for you and your accomplishments and your North Alabama Lions team. Come this Saturday at 2.30 on ESPN. It's going to be a very special moment. Coach, I want to tell you to tell everybody what's the family secret because you secured espn on friday night and on saturday from a family standpoint i tell you what it's huge it's huge in uh uh down calioca road in sarah land alabama i know that because uh you're looking at my brother get an opportunity to to be on the national spotlight there with sarah land going up against lipscomb um, and then uh, also on Saturday, you know, this is the first time in, in uh, two decades that UNA has been a primetime game on ESPN. So to start the year off with, with that kind of weekend, man, I know mom and dad got to be proud. Absolutely. I'm so happy for you, Coach. And, and I'll tell you what's going to be great. I'm going to be able to catch your game at 2.30 on ESPN because I'm going to be tailgating at a game that I know you know a little something about, the Blunt and Viger high school game. And a couple of guys on your staff may know something about the Blunt Viger game as well. So tremendous week kicking off not only for high school football in this state, but as well as collegiate football. I tell you what, I, I grew up my whole life. Uh, you know, I was on the sidelines of Viger as a young kid, and Dad went over to Davidson as a head coach for six years. I had to wear uh, the black and gold for a little bit, but then I came back to Viger as a high school player. And man, that 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 rivalry. Uh, it, there's none none other uh, besides Blunt and Viger. You know, it, it, it's deep in my roots. Uh, I made a, a, a I swore that I would never wear purple. 
just that's how much uh, that that rivalry is in me. But then I end up going to Bethel, which is a purple school for college, and now I'm the head coach of UNA, which is purple and gold. So uh, and now I have to recruit Blunt. So uh, we love Blunt now, but that rivalry, there's none like it. I'll tell you that. Well, I'll tell you this, too, Coach, as far as looking at your roster, when you spent time at Kansas as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks, Coach, you have a young man on your roster, Edwin White Schultz, and he's from right here in Mobile, Alabama, graduated from Baker. Talk about this young man and how he's benefiting your program. I tell you what, when when I got the job, um, Edwin was one of the first guys that we reached out to. When he jumped in the portal, uh, I recruited him to Kansas. I got to build that relationship um, to get him there, and then situations happened where before he even got on campus, I was going to to Middle Tennessee to get back closer to family. So, uh, but but he was one of the first guys we called because we knew bringing him back to the state of Alabama was going to be a big deal. That he could wear that that UNA logo with pride of being back in the state. He was the leader we were looking for in defense. Uh, he's going to play a lot of special teams for us as well, but he'll be our free safety um, because he commands the whole defense. Uh, does a good job back there playing center field or being a ball hawk. Um, but but has already stepped up to being one of our ten leaders on our unity council teams. Another guy. Um, throw another shout out there. We we were able to get him late. Uh, Michael Towner, uh, big truck from Viger High School, is another guy from the two five one from the Mobile area that we're uh, got on roster as a true freshman defensive lineman. Uh, he's going to play in this first game, so it's, it's not often that true freshmen come in and play in game one on ESPN. So uh, we're really excited about both of those guys. Talking with Coach Deerman of North Alabama. Coach Deerman, you know, your brother actually was my high school uh, history teacher. I don't want to get into all that because that'll go forever. But, look, how does it feel to be coaching in the FCS kickoff? You're on ESPN. You're at your new school. All eyes are on you. I'll tell you what, I want to pray for you first off because uh, <laughs> I, I doubt the history that you were taught in uh, in that class. That's right. Probably a lot of movies, especially on Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. A lot of a well, gladiator, uh, the Patriot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, man, this is an honor uh, to be in this stage. It's huge for our university. It's huge for us in recruiting. Uh, for me, you know, I was a high school football player at Viger. I remember playing against Robert E. Lee in the Crampton Bowl. Uh, I remember Dad in the late 80s, early 90s, having battles with Lee and Jeff Davis, Sidney Lanier. Um, so that Crampton Bowl is a special place to me as a former player, uh, watching my dad in there uh, uh, coaching as well. Uh, so to be away, to be at that stage on a national spotlight when all eyes are going to be on you, we're the first game to be played in America. I think uh, Notre Dame and Navy are playing overseas. That's right. Uh, so we're the first game to be played uh, within within our uh, borders of our country. So we're really excited, and, and we just hope we put on a show for people watching. Wanted to also ask you about another native Mobilian transferred in from South Alabama, A.J. Phillips from Chickasaw High School. How's A.J. Phillips fitting that linebacker role for you? You know, I, I mess with him all the time. Uh, he's from the other side of the tracks. Um, I, I told him I used to go to Whataburger after practice every day to go get that. Uh, only place close that I could get a Whataburger sandwich was in Chickasaw. So, um, but AJ's doing really well. You know, we took him. Uh, they took him before I got here, and has worked his tail off, uh, worked his way up the depth chart, 
And uh, we just about a week ago awarded A.J. and put him on scholarship. Uh, so he had been here for a year without a scholarship. We awarded him, and he's going to go in probably as our second. Uh, Mike Linebarger, uh, but does a heck of a job. Uh, and and uh, I mess with him all the time about uh, he couldn't have handled it down there at Viger, so he had to go to check us out. So you guys are playing Mercer on Saturday. What has been the key point in that scouting report about that team that you've been telling your players to really get ready for on Saturday? You know, they, they returned 20 out of 22 starters. Uh, they lost their quarterback, and they lost a uh, defensive back. Everybody else is back from a team that was a very solid football team last year. So they're going to be sound. They're going to be a tough football team. Um, they, they've got a little bit of option principles to them. Um, so we've got to be uh, – you, you rather play an option team game one. That way you got all summer to prep for them. So uh, you got to be really sound in how you play a team like that because they're going to be smart, they're going to be experienced, and they're going to throw the book at us as well with all the option stuff. So uh, it'll be a great test for us to see where we're at coming out of this fall camp. We're speaking with Brent Dearman, the head football coach of the North Alabama Lions. And, of course, we've talked a little bit when you got the job about your staff. Jake Bentley, a very familiar name for the South Alabama Jaguar fans down this way, along with Thomas Johnston from Spanish Fort, Deshaun Davis from Viger. But you recently added a director of player development, Carrion Johnson, who was an outstanding Auburn running back. Tell us how Carrion is fitting into your staff as director of player development i tell you what as a whole i mean if we play pickup basketball at lunch i would hope we could beat a lot of the staffs in the country with those guys on staff uh, I'd, I'd just be the guy uh, inbounding the ball for those guys but man it's a, a star-studded staff uh, we wanted to, to have guys on staff that could recruit the state that could relate to players nowadays and all those guys you just mentioned do a heck of a job but carry on Carrion's biggest role uh, nowadays is dealing with our players off the field of all the mental health issues, of all the um, social media, all on, uh, uh, online classes, of getting freshmen uh, accustomed to, to the college life. He's responsible for all that, and he's doing a heck of a job of it. You know, his career in the NFL ended early because of injuries, so he's able to uh, relate to these players. Say, listen, uh, where you're at today is not going to be guaranteed where you're going to be tomorrow. So he does a really good job of relating to our guys and, and going to where they're at and getting to where we need them to be. So your staff and your players already make up some of the best that the 251 and Mobile has to offer other than anyone we've already discussed already, who do you see maybe really breaking out and being put on a lot of college football fans' map this year? You know, I, I, I've always got my eye on two different kinds of talent. Talent that's on my team that I think is going to have a heck of a, a year this year that's going to be a breakout uh, performer. But I'm always looking at uh, talented uh, coaches as well uh, to bring in the staff for, for next year. And there's uh, down in that area, down in, in that 251 area, uh, you know, there's been so many great coaches that come out. And I, I watched uh, the, the Ravens play the other night just so I could watch T. Martin operating on the sideline. And, and uh, you know, I always like to stay in touch with Damian Craig. Uh, so just the, the great coaches that come out of that area. So we're always looking for a little bit of both, the players and coaches. Well, I tell you, Coach, it's just an honor and a privilege to watch your track, not only 
as a student of the game, a player of the game, as an assistant coach, working that ladder to success. And, and it's something that kids can relate to. When they pop in your Google resume or when they see where you've been and, and how you've gone from the high school ranks, loving it as a player, loving it as a student assistant, loving it as an assistant coach to where you are now. For those who really want to tap into coaching or pursue their dream, it's never too late to keep grinding and coach. North Alabama, Football is definitely on the map and will stay that way because of your relentless attitude and your pursuit for perfection. We look forward to watching you go put on for the entire state of Alabama on Saturday. Well, Corey, I tell, I tell you what, a pretty cool event happened the other day. You brought up all my the, the resume, all of it I've been through. The man that gave me my first job was Kerry Stevenson. Uh, right, out, right out of college, uh, Kerry hires me as OC. And I'm 23 years old. For the first day of fall camp this year, we brought Kerry in to speak to the team and to have Kerry Stevenson talk to the team, address the team, give a motivational speech. Uh, it's almost like I went full circle and I was back to being as OC at Viger again. So, uh, man, just just keep working um, for everybody that's listening. Uh, you never know when your time's going to come. Just keep your hand on the plow, keep plowing forward, and, and the Lord's going to take care of you. Absolutely. Brent Dearman, I appreciate your friendship, your communication throughout the years as well, whether it's at Florida Atlantic or whether it's at Middle Tennessee or Kansas, whatever your stops have been, you've always been accessible. I appreciate that and look forward to wrapping with you probably on Sunday coming off a North Alabama victory. And we'll see if the Wolfpack, you can be a, a proud Wolfpack alum getting that W over Blunt in the Battle of Pritchard as well. I'm all about talking some lines and some Wolfpack on Sunday. Let's go. Love it. Brent Dearman joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll be right back. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by Nick Wiggins. And, of course, this week, two days away, really, from kicking off high school football. But before we put toe to leather in high school football, make sure you tune in tonight, 6 to 8 o'clock p.m., for the two-hour high school football preview presented by Golf Orthopedics right here with Brian Gennard and Pigskin Pete. They'll be breaking down all 1A through 7A local Mobile and Baldwin County teams. Of course, on Thursday, the high school game day bus gets gassed up all and is heading to over Fairhope, to, to Fairhope. Crossing the bridge. And, and that's one of those situations to where you look at high school football means that college football is right behind it, but you don't want to miss Pigskin Pete and Brian Gennard bringing you all of the high school football previews presented by Gulf Orthopedics. That's right. You're going to hear from every football coach, every single one. They've all made comments talking about the season. They're going to do an in-depth breakdown of every roster. So, look, if you want to, if you aren't caught up, if you listen to that show, you're going to know everything that you need to know before these games uh, get started on Thursday. Absolutely. And, and when we had high school media days uh, a few weeks ago, I, I think that looking forward, you knew that 
a couple of things that you could go ahead and guarantee living along the Gulf Coast. You are going to get those daily rain showers, which we have not had. The last hard rain that we've had out here at the studio at 1100 Dolphin Street was a week ago today. That was the last hard rain that we've received. You, you look at how hot the record scorching temperatures where you have these football players who are out there practicing and only a couple of schools have indoor facilities. Right. So so most teams are sitting there practicing to where the heat index hits the 115 or more. But kudos to all these coaches and to the players for making sure they're staying hydrated, to making sure that we're not seeing any episodes of heat stroke or any kids having to, or coaches going to the hospital with dehydration. Because yeah. I've talked to several coaches who have coached over 30 years, and they said they have never seen it this hot as far as consistently this long because the rain showers normally come. That's right. And that runs you into the gym or practice or wherever that you're going to have. But no such well, luck. And the and the AHSAA, they're, you know, they're trying to get ahead of that as much as they can. So they're coming out and they're, they've got these new special kind of heat regulations. A few of the kickoff classics up north, they're pushing back their kickoffs to 8 p.m. to try and get away from some of that heat. Uh, what do they got? You get an extra timeout every what quarter? In between half? the quarter, they're they're extending the time in between quarters to where you normally would get in and get out. You, you're going to give a little extra time there to cool off. So they're they're doing and having. We always have the heat timeouts that are built into in between because we're on 12 minute quarters. Right. So right under the six minute dead first dead ball, you'll have that heat timeout for the first five weeks. And the last couple of years, yeah, you've probably needed it in week one and two. But come week three, four, and five, you're like, man, we're just doing this because the heat is heat timeout is mandatory. Yep. Not because we want to do it, not because we need to do it, because it'll be a pleasant 75 to 80 degrees at kickoff versus 95 degrees at kickoff. But kudos to all the cheerleaders and band members and football players and coaches for sweltering it out for our entertainment on Thursday and Friday nights. And it's going to be fun here to get started here in a couple of days with kickoff for high school football. That's right. Just definitely stay hydrated, be careful, and, you know, most importantly, it's about having fun, man. All these football guys we talk to from NFL to college, coaches, players, they all say that a lot of their best memories are playing football at that high school level, so just make sure you're staying hydrated out there. It really is, and, and another scorching day today is the Gulf Coast continues, and really across the country continues to set record temperatures. But, of course, high school football gets started here on WNSP on Thursday night. Michael Bronner, along with Brian Gennard, Michael Bronner making his debut as a high school play-by-play -play announcer for the radio standpoint. And I know Brian, that's a great partner, will we'll help him along with that. And then, of course, Friday night, WNSP bringing you the big game between Sarah Land and Lipscomb. And another reason that we want all our listeners to make sure you download the free Sound of Mobile app 
because you'll be able to correspond not only with Pigskin Pete on Friday nights, you'll be able to give us updates wherever location you are at. Give us the thoughts on the game that you received. And of course, give us input on our shows, whether it's the opening kickoff or the final drive or the prep spotlight, whatever the show is that you love to listen to on WNSP, you have to download that free Sound of Mobile app to correspond with us. That's right. And look, we read every comment. Every comment becomes part of the show if I am able to read it on air. I know a lot of people really push that limit, but hey, for the comments we're not allowed to read on air because we'll get canceled and fired. They're still on the app. So if you want to read it and see what it is that we're laughing about, you got to be on the app to see it because we can't say some of the things that are on there. Without question, it's a it's a great way to get insight. And some of them are friendly, family right. friendly that is. Some of them are not family friendly. Some of them friendly. are a little rated PG-13. Some a little R. Some a little NC-17. <laughs> some you better read it before I block the guy because it's going <laughs> to be disa- it's gonna disappear in a couple minutes. Without question. Locked on SEC host Chris Gordy. Scheduled to join us next here on the final drive as SEC football quickly arriving this Saturday. The Sound of Mobile presents For the win! The Final Drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win! Yes! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by Nick Wiggins. Hope everyone's staying cool in this sweltering hot weather. And want to welcome our next guest, Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host. Chris, how's everything going, my friend? It's good, man. I'm over here in Houston, and we're getting, like, these really tiny staring like outer bands of that system in the golf and we're like all like begging for like a friend of mine was like oh my god i got two minutes of rain today i'm like no way we got about 30 seconds so we're like we've been in such a drought for the last 30 days we're like any kind of rain is welcome at this point it's so damn hot let's just get the football season i can't wait for those november cold games in the sec like i i am i am so looking forward to those. I, I, I tell you, is everybody's in an oven for sure across the country, and you're right about those raindrops as we weren't able to receive any for about a, a week here ourselves in Mobile. But when you look across the Southeastern Conference, very rarely do you see Vanderbilt, the Commodores, getting showed a little love quicker and faster than everyone else in the SEC, and that being probably just because they're taking on Hawaii, and they're the first team from the SEC to be kicking off this week. Yeah, it's smart on their part. Um, you know, they, they did this last year. You know, they played in week zero. They went to Hawaii, and this year, this year is week zero with the return trip from Hawaii. It's smart for a program like that. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the other, you know, like uh, Missouri, they, they requested they're playing South Dakota next Thursday, and 
you know, they, they had, that was originally a Saturday game. They had requested to move that up to Thursday, and uh, the SEC granted that, you know, that, that move a couple of months ago. And so they're going to open, you know, next Thursday night on the SEC network uh, on a night where, you know, Florida's going to be playing Utah, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of other big games going on. So it's an opportunity for your program to get a little love. And, yeah, that's, that's kind of what Vanderbilt's doing here with this game against Hawaii. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to see more games, more, more teams make the move to week zero. Um, you know, Florida State played, I think it was Duquesne in week zero last year, and then they played LSU in week one. LSU, they didn't have a week zero game. And talking with people who, who played or, or were down there for that game said, you know, it was an advantage for Florida State that they had already gone through a game, you know, albeit it was Duquesne, they beat the crap out of them, but, like, they got a lot of kinks worked out, whereas LSU was still trying to get a lot of their chemistry going and all that, and Florida State won that game. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more teams kind of move towards wanting to play that week zero game, but it's great for a program like Vandy that's been, you know, basically off the radar ever since James Franklin left. They've been bad, uh, as nice of a guy as Derek Mason was. They just they never really got it going. And the hope is Clark Lee can. And obviously two monster upsets last year, beating Kentucky and beating Florida, but at the end of the day, they still went 5-7 and seven and missed the bowl game. And so uh, some optimism for Vandy. They're, they're going to have to do that again this year if they want to get to 6-6 six and six and go bowling. But uh, it starts with beating Masada out of Hawaii this week, and Hawaii's really bad. I mean, there's a reason why Vanderbilt's a 17.5-point favorite. So uh, if, if I'm giving your listeners a reason to watch, my buddy of mine who's an assistant at Vanderbilt told me earlier this offseason that uh, – that there's been some talk when it comes to A.J. Swan that he's got some Jake Cutler elements to him. Now, he's not saying he is Jake Cutler, but that they see some shades of Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler in uh, A.J. Swan. So I'm interested to see how much Swan takes a step forward this year. Remember, he was a freshman last year. He's only going to be a sophomore, so a lot of room for this kid to still grow. And uh, I'm interested to see that. I got Will Shepard, one of the most underrated wide receivers, not just the SEC in the country. And, uh, yeah, an opportunity to get a little taste of Vandy football this Saturday night. Chris Gordy locked on SEC, our guest this afternoon here on the final drive. And I know there are major renovations going on at Vanderbilt. And it's my understanding that they won't even be having any home games this year because of their stadium renovations. And if you're going to renovate a stadium, to me, from the time your season ends right there with Vanderbilt close to the 1st of December, you give yourself December to August or December until September to go ahead and get those renovations done. Is Vanderbilt not going to have any true home games this year? No, they will. That was that was a fake news report that somebody put out there last week that said, or two weeks ago that said Vanderbilt was going to go play their games at a high school stadium. They're still playing the games at home. All the construction that's being done is, is behind the end zones. So, the field of play is still very much fine. Um, you know, some people taking some pictures of it, and if you'll notice in all the pictures you see, the field of play is still intact. It's still in great shape. Uh, in fact, Vanderbilt's been practicing. Some their, you know, they've been practicing on that field. So, um, yeah, they, they, they're going to play the games there. They're just going to have uh, diminished capacity. I want to say somewhere, you know, around twenty thousand or twenty-three thousand, something like that. Um, so it's not going to be a full complement of the stadium, but they will play games there. You just won't be able to go in the end zones where they're doing all the uh, all the work at, at least from what I understand. So, 
Yeah, it's um, but then again, if you ask other people, they say, well, nobody goes to Vanderbilt games anyway, so it shouldn't be much different. It's a home game for whatever opponent they're playing in the SEC, for sure. I know I checked out their game a couple of years ago. My mom is a Vanderbilt graduate, and there was more crimson and white in the building than there was definitely black and gold for certain. But that's okay, too, because the Vanderbilt people made their money back selling them to, to their opponents. And I know when they played Georgia, you would have thought it was Georgia's home game as well. But when you whip around the SEC as far as getting ready here quarterbacks being named as starters at Auburn this past week, Peyton Thorne, Nick Saban still not has named a, a starting quarterback. I think we'll see that depth chart come out probably on Monday of next week, but looking at Kentucky or the Missouri's of the world or the Tennessee's of the world, what is there any shocking news at quarterback from that position across the league? No, I mean, you know, Peyton Thorne was, was uh, expected at Auburn, and we got that one out the way. Georgia over the weekend, and now Carson Beck is their guy. Again, no surprise there. I did laugh today when I saw somebody put out a tweet that said, breaking news, Shane Beamer has announced Spencer Rattler. And I went, what in the world? Like, that wasn't even up for debate. Like, I, it, it's just so weird that, like, I guess teams still have to announce it. You know, like, I'm sure Tennessee will come out and announce Joe Milton as their starter, and it's like, yeah, we know. You brought him to SEC media days. Like, why, why, what the world, like, why do you need to make an announcement on this? Um, you know, the Alabama one, I think it's going to take the time, take some time. Obviously, Alabama and Ole Miss are the two big ones we're watching. Uh, Ole Miss, obviously, you know, we think it's going to be Jackson Dart, but no announcement's been made. But what them and a few other schools have the advantage of doing is they don't open with a big dog. You open with a cupcake. Yeah, Nick Saban, there's no, there's no urgency. There's no rush to say, this is our guy. Um, at least as far as I understand it, like right now, if Alabama had to go play this weekend, they would say Jalen Milrow is our starter, but we're going to play Ty Simpson too. And that's how it's going to go. Now, there were some reports the last couple of days that the freshman Dylan Lonergan was looking really good and all that, but I take that as just fall camp fodder. I mean, to me, that's like two weeks ago at Auburn where they were, you know, people were gushing over, man, uh, you know, uh, the, the third stringer looks really good here. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's great. But Holden Garrett is not going to be the starter at, at Auburn right now. So that's kind of what I took um, you know, out of that news with Dylan Lonergan. But I, I think it'll be I think it'll be Milrow starting against Middle Tennessee. I think, uh, you know, we'll see a little bit of Ty Simpson. And if all goes well and Jalen Milrow leads them down the field on a couple of scoring drives, I think he'll be the guy against Texas. But, yeah, I don't know if there's no reason for Nick Saban to make an urgency and, you know, oh my God, we have to announce the starting quarterback. Because um, they're just trying, you know, I think they're going to allow that week one game to, to let that thing figure itself out. Talking with Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. Chris, look, it's been no secret. I'm really high on the LSU Tigers this year. I got them come, being the ones to come out the West and play Georgia in that SEC championship. For our listeners who are diehard Alabama and think I'm crazy, can you, can you help me sell them on what LSU's got cooking down there in the bayou this year? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're an Alabama fan, you saw how that game played out last year in Baton Rouge. Um, you know, LSU's offense was not afraid of Alabama's defense, and that was with Big Will Anderson and, and Dallas Turner and all the different Kool-Aid McKinstry, all the different pieces they have. Um, now, the difference was Alabama had the offense to, to answer. Every time LSU scored, Bama answered because you had Bryce Young and you had all these different weapons, Jameer Gibbs and all that. Well, Bryce Young and Jameer Gibbs are gone. And 
LSU brings back largely the same offense. Granted, it's different atmosphere. You know, you're going to Tuscaloosa and not in Baton Rouge this year. But if LSU's offense does much of the same of what they just did a year ago against Bama's defense, my question is, can Alabama's offense answer? And if the quarterback's not as good as Bryce Young and the starting running back's not as good as Jameer Gibbs, and, you know what I mean? Like, if the personnel's not as good as last year, then how are they going to find themselves not necessarily a shootout? I think that's an overused word. But, like, let's just say you got to get to 30 points to beat LSU. Can Alabama do it? That's that's what will be interesting. And, and I just – look, I, I, I like Alabama. I think they'll be much improved in a lot of different spots this year. I like the coordinator hires. But let's not act like – Kevin Steele is the next coming of Kirby Smart or something. Like, he's good. He's not great. Um, you know, go watch his games in Miami last year when Kevin Steele was the D.C. It was it was good. It, it, was, it was There was a lot of bad, too. I mean, they gave up 40 points or more, I think, to four different opponents last year at Miami. So, you know, it, it's still going to be largely Nick Saban's defense, and he's calling the shots, but Kevin Steele is, is the D.C., and I don't know – you know, picking and choosing when you blitz, picking and choosing when you get super aggressive, and oh my God, with that wide receiver slipped right out there, we didn't have him covered, and then there's a big play down the field. That had way too much of that last year, uh, particularly that Tennessee game. Uh, way too many big plays, and I just I don't know if all the problems that I had last year. You know, they they scapegoated Pete Golding, and oh, Pete Golding was the problem. Okay, we're we're, we're about to find out. Uh, in my mind, like, I, I would still take it in terms of if we're ranking defensive coordinators. I think Tim Golding is still a better defensive coordinator overall than Kevin Steele. Um, but we'll find out, man. We'll find out in a couple weeks how good this Bama defense is. But, yeah, to, to answer your question, it's just a simple fact of what everything LSU brings back. Now, look, injuries could happen, but, you know, LSU's got some pretty good backups as well. I mean, they're running about eight running backs deep right now. And even the quarterback, if Jaden Daniels were to go down at some point, Jared Usmeyer is pretty damn scrappy behind him. And some, some are still arguing he might be the better overall quarterback than Jaden. So, yeah, I, I like what LSU has. But, again, as you guys know, playing in Tuscaloosa is usually worth about a touchdown in its own right. It's a tough place to play, and it's why only, what, like 10 people have won there in the last decade? Like, it's, it's almost impossible to win there. It, it, it's a hard place to win for certain. And when you look at a hard division to, to win in the SEC East, the South Carolina Gamecocks and Spencer Rattler not really getting a lot of love shown. Can Spencer Rattler be that guy for Coach Beamer in the SEC East and actually surprise some folks when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think I think they'll win a game or two they're not supposed to. I mean, that Tennessee game last year was a prime example. The Clemson game was the cherry on the top. I mean, that was the one like, holy hell, they, they beat Clemson. They're, they're arch rival. Um, I still think they're only going to be as good as this offensive and defensive line uh, can take them. And, you know, I, I still have some major question marks about the offensive line and the protection. And, you know, we, go back and watch Spencer Adler through the first six, seven weeks last season. He was running for his life back there. Uh, constantly dealing with blitzing and pressure in his face and getting sacked. And uh, as a result, he's doing a ton of interceptions because he had pressure in his face and he's having to get rid of the football before he wants to. And so we saw we saw a very mixed bag with Spencer Rattler last year. If they can fix those and the offensive line plays well and protects, yeah, they're going to look really good. I still have some question marks about who their running back is going to be. Um, you know, Juju McDonald's okay. Uh, DeKaron Joyner's going to get some snaps back there, the former quarterback. So... You know, we'll see there. And then on the defensive line, they've added some pieces through the portal. But, 
they've added not one but two pieces from uh, you know community college transfers, and, and I'm just looking and going, look, those are they, they look like good players. The measurements and all are, are, are good, but are we really going to go into an SEC season saying we're going to lean heavily on two community college transfers as being big time playmakers for us? So. You know, those are just my big concerns with South Carolina. Um, you know, they, they got a big one against North Carolina next week to start the season. And Drake May on the other side for North Carolina, he's going to score some points. Spencer Rattler and that offense are going to have to stay healthy and, and, and answer. And if they can't, they're going to get their butts beat by North Carolina. The last question I'll ask you is about Kentucky. Uh, I, I know Deuce Hogan. I, I watched him in a QB1 documentary on Tubi along with Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. Devin Leary or Deuce Hogan for the Kentucky Wildcats? Uh, Devin Leary, I mean, he's the, you know, he was the top-rated quarterback in the transfer portal this past offseason, and a lot of people wanted him. Uh, obviously, injuries messed up his year at NC State last year, but the year prior to that, his numbers were ridiculous at NC State. He's a really, really good quarterback, and I like what Kentucky's done. They've addressed their offensive line issues they had last year. They bring back William Cohen, who was a great OC for them two years ago. He's back in the fold. So, yeah, I like what Kentucky's doing. It's just about staying healthy and finding consistency. I love the receiving core with Dane Key, Barry and Brown, and Tavian Robinson, they got some weapons, man. And so, uh, kind of same thing with Will Levis last year. Will Levis got his brains beat in because the offensive line wasn't very good. Uh, they brought in a ton of transfers, and they seem to tweak that old line. If Devin Leary's got time, he's going to make you pay, and he's going to make some big plays. So, I- I'm bullish on Kentucky. There's a reason why people like Cole Kublick and others have picked Kentucky as kind of that dark horse team to watch because, man, they have played They've played Georgia tough. Go back and look at what that defense – that Kentucky has done against Georgia the last few years. They've they've held Georgia's offense in check largely, holding them to a ton of field goals in recent years. If they can do that and find a way to score some touchdowns, um, Kentucky could, could pull off the upset on Georgia this year. We'll see. That will be one for the ages for sure. And I know this time next week, Chris, we'll have an opportunity to be talking about the results of some scores from college football and getting ready to enter week number one officially of college football to where all SEC schools will be participating. How can everyone follow all of your great coverage and keep themselves locked on the SEC? Yeah, just log, search Locked on SEC wherever you get your podcasts. We're on YouTube with the video version. So if you haven't done yet, I've done it yet, go to YouTube and subscribe to Locked on SEC. We've got video content up there every single day. And uh, we're kind of down there. We're getting ready. We're almost done with list season and AP preseason, All-American list and all that. I'm done with all that. I'm, I'm ready just to kick off the season football. And luckily we got it coming. So we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll recap Vandy and we'll uh, preview SEC week one next week with you guys. Toe to leather is coming, Chris. Appreciate it very much. As always, you stay safe and stay cool, my friend. Yeah, man. Keep rocking your shoes. Appreciate you. Chris Cordy joining us this afternoon here on the final drive. And Chris knows that I I love me some Jordans, Nick. So we'll come right back here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive with myself, Nick Wiggins, and the best host on the coast, Corey LeBounty. 
And look, talking about final drive, someone who may have played their final drive and their final down for their current team, Jonathan Taylor. He requested a trade or wanted a trade. They said, no, we're not trading you. And then a report comes out yesterday that they are allowing Jonathan Taylor to find a trade partner. I'm curious, what what's the GM doing? Isn't it the GM's job to find the trade partner that works the best for Indianapolis and then send him there? Is Jonathan Taylor, you know, calling up every team and saying, hey, do you want me? I mean, I, and then it also, Jim Irsay is asking for a first-round pick for Jonathan Taylor. We have already established the NFL isn't valuing these running backs. Dalvin Cook, they couldn't trade Dalvin Cook for anything. They had to cut that man. He had to sign a new contract. You couldn't trade Zeke. He had to just sign a, a little one-year deal not even as a starter, to be in a part of a running back committee. Corey, where is Jonathan Taylor going to go? Jonathan Taylor's owner, Jim Irsay, says, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes. It's a privilege to be a part of it. That's not spoken as, hey, look, Let's try to break bread with one another. Let, let's yeah. let's pull a Josh Jacobs and Kumbaya uh -huh. because I do believe Josh Jacobs is getting ready to find himself back with the Las Vegas Raiders before week one of play begins. And when you start looking at the last two backs who have yet to go ahead and, and join their teams, that is Josh Jacobs of the Raiders, wants that money. Wants to get paid. Yep. You see Saquon Barkley already saw the light. He said, look, man, just, just go ahead and give me 12 and a half. Let, let's base this thing with some incentives, and, and we'll move on. And, and he'll be in the same boat that he was this time next year also. But as far as Taylor, Taylor doesn't have a lot of, a lot of miles because he's a fairly young player in the NFL. Right. You look at him coming in and being able to produce, Nick, it, it's important. I mean, you you drafted this young man. You wanted him to be a part of your franchise, and it's not like he's been part of your franchise for five to seven years. I'm just curious when it comes to the asking price. Jonathan Taylor did not have a very good year last year. I mean, he was barely busting out 80 yards. He was injured a lot last year. And now you're saying even though he wants out and the situation's not good, you're asking for this super high asking price that no one can meet? Are we preparing ourselves for a year where Jonathan Taylor is just sitting on the sideline because either no one wants to pay the price or because Jim Irsay won't accept uh, whatever the highest bid is because it's not meeting his price specifically. Those comps you just said, I mean, I think that pretty much says it right there. I mean, if Jonathan Taylor has to go out the league for Jim Irsay to get what he wants, then Jim Irsay is ready to, to do that. But let's just think about team, right? There's not really a team in the NFL that's right there at that, oh, man, if we can just really get that bell cow running back, we're really going to be set. Now, personally, we talked about what teams we're kind of rooting for outside of our own personal favorites. Can you imagine putting Jonathan Taylor, a capable running back like that, on a same offense with Lamar Jackson, right? 
Mark Andrews, top two tight end in the league. Odell Beckham Jr. Now that's an offense right there. If you had, if you could shoot, can you imagine him on your Miami Dolphins? I know they're doing a little bit running back by committee, but where would you want to see him go? Well, I, I think he could be a value and an asset to the Dolphins, but what would they have to give up to get him? Uh, so, so for Demerce, a first-round pick, apparently. Too much. That's too much. Way too much. Way too much. Yep. Way too much. I'm I, thinking I, a third th tops. There's, there's no way I could give up that for Jonathan Taylor coming over to the Miami Dolphins, and I don't think they would do that either. I mean, again, he, he's a, a, a wonderful back, um, and I think he's going to continue to get better. But, I mean, it's not like he has come close to, to hitting the 1,500 rushing yard plateau. That hasn't been the case. So, as far as NFL goes, our next guest, Ezekiel Elliott. That's a running back. That playing wanted to for get the paid. Dallas Cowboys. He's one of the ones that reset the market for yeah. the running back. And someone who covers the Dallas Cowboys on a daily basis. Matter of fact, she handles their sideline duties. It's Haley Sutton. America's team, people. America's team. Haley Sutton joins us next to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the direction they're going here on the final drive on WNSP 1055. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Here on WNSP 105.5, Corey Lebounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you this Afternoon. It's a scorching hot Tuesday afternoon here along the Gulf Coast. And I tell you, you know, someone who is used to hot temperatures along the Dallas Cowboys coast is our next guest making her debut, Haley Sutton, host and reporter for the Dallas Cowboys. Haley, hope all is well and you're finding a way to try to stay cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just got back from California out there for training camp, so getting back here to Texas is uh, it's humbling, to say the least. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And first and foremost, I want to say congratulations. I know this is your second year working for the Cowboys organization and franchises. I watched you cover high school hoops and high school football here in North Alabama for several years and getting an opportunity to work for America's team. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. You know, being a, a Dallas girl, you know, I grew up just south of uh, the Metroplex. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to say the least. You know, this has been a dream for me. So I'm really, really excited to be a part of this team. Well, I tell you, you know, the Cowboys, of course, being labeled America's team last year, it, it wasn't Super Bowl or bust, but so many people expected such great things after the outstanding regular season record and, of course, Dak Prescott being staying upright. Uh, and I think that here the fans in Mobile, Alabama, were cheering a little bit louder for the Dallas Cowboys because of the draft pick in Jalen Tolbert from the University of South Alabama. Tolbert, he was frank and, and 
upfront with everyone this past week saying, look, his confidence had been shook, but he's back to himself. And that's evident in him catching a, a touchdown pass in week one of preseason action and having close to four or five receptions this past week against Seattle. Yeah, I love Jalen Tolbert. Uh, he's a guy who I've really gotten a chance to get to know just over this last year. Um, and to your point, he talked about, you know, pretty candidly at the Senior Bowl earlier this year about how difficult the transition from college to the NFL um, really was for him. But I, I give him flowers every day because not every player has the mentality of, okay, I'm going to go out and get better and address the problems that I'm having in this first year so that I can meet expectations. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, would fold. They would do the bare minimum or they would say, you know, why me? Why can't I figure this out? Um, Jalen Tolbert really took it upon himself to get to know his quarterback both on and off the field. Um, he told me last week that over the summer, Dak Prescott actually gave him uh, a book for him to read, and that really kind of helped navigate his confidence. And, you know, he stayed out at Dak's backyard running routes, catching passes with the rest of the receivers. So um, this is a guy who really knows what it means to take that second-year jump. Mike McCarthy talks about it all the time um, and what he looks for in those second-year guys. And as we saw today, Stephen Jones announcing that he's officially got that wide receiver four spot locked up. So uh, it's just a testament to the work that he's put in this offseason and at camp. Another young player for Dallas who has really taken social media by storm, Deuce Vaughn. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about him? Yeah, Deuce, what a guy, right? Uh, I think Deuce has an incredible attitude. Um, this is a guy who is every bit of five foot six and is the first one volunteering to work on things like pass protection against a guy uh, like Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, just a great guy. And to be honest, he's got such a great football mind. I think what makes Deuce so successful is that he's had the luxury of playing at that size for his entire life. So this is nothing new for him. It's not new for people to expect him to fail because of his size um, and really in talking to a lot of the guys on that defensive line they all ha kind of have the same consensus uh, he's small he's hard to see we can't you know we don't see him until he's popped through and then by that point he's putting you in the spin cycle like we saw on Saturday against Seattle so I think he's super exciting um, I don't know that he'll necessarily be the traditional running back to the way um, people are kind of trying to figure out who's going to replace Ezekiel Elliott's role at this point um, but I do think that there's some special packages and some really cool opportunities the Cowboys offensive line or the Cowboys offense can really work with in order to integrate him into the offense. For the Cowboys to be successful this season, is it the offense that has to stay on track with Dak staying healthy or is it the defense taking it the next step? What is it for the Cowboys to take it to that next level that Jerry Jones has envisioned, which is that coveted Super Bowl trophy once again? Well, I think as, as cheesy and as coaches speak as it sounds, uh, the key is complimentary football. And you hear Mike McCarthy use that phrase so often throughout the season, but uh, it's right. You saw last year the Cowboys had one of the best defenses, if not the best defense for much of the 2022 season. And sometimes they were tested because the offense couldn't get on track. And then when the offense did get on track, uh, you know, there were some injuries on the defensive side that made it difficult. And then we have Brett Maher at the end of the season who was unable to convert on those uh, extra points and as a result you saw 
the team, you know, kind of fall apart in those last couple of weeks. And so I think the key is just being successful is that everybody knows their role. We know that this is going to be a Cowboys team that's going to rely heavily on the defense because that's the cards that are dealt. And when you've got a Micah Parsons on your defense, you've got to capitalize on that for as long as he's in his prime, um, especially if you've seen him at training camp uh, lately. He's been absurd uh, rushing there off the line. But uh, in tandem with that, you've got to be able to have your wide receivers be comfortable playing with your quarterback. Your quarterback has to be comfortable shifting to a new style of offense. The tight ends have to understand that their role is going to be a little bit more block-heavy um, in this type of West Coast scheme. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I, what I will say is this is the most complete uh, that I've really seen this team be all across the board really within the last couple of years. So I'm excited for them. We're talking with Haley Sutton, host and reporter for the Dallas Cowboys. Haley, who is a player that right now we don't know the name of, but by the end of the season you think everyone's going to be knowing this guy's name? Ooh, gosh, that is a tough question. Um, I'm going to say uh, – possibly Rico Dowdle and I know that he's the guy who we're kind of talking about in this moment just because again they're trying to fill that running back two spot um, but I think a lot of people are going to be impressed with what he is able to accomplish I think you know very similar to any player who's coming off of injury and not really been you know involved in playing football uh, in quite some years there's going to be some rust you've seen that over the last couple of weeks he had a fumble on the one-yard line, the first preseason game. And then last week, of course, he had the missed block that led to um, him stepping out of bounds for that safety. But what I will say about Rico is uh, he's incredibly coachable. Um, he adjusts pretty quickly in terms of getting coaching information and figuring that out. He's a really hard worker, and he wants to be on the field. So I would definitely say keep an eye out for Rico Dowdle. And then I would also say on just from the rookie class, someone who I've been incredibly high on, um, who I think is still kind of getting their legs under them, uh, is seventh-round draft pick Jalen Brooks. Um, he is so incredibly athletic. He's tall. He's lean. Uh, almost built like a Nashon Ryder and Israel Mukwamu on the other side of the ball. Uh, but just has all the potential in the world. He's got great hands. Uh, some of the catches he's been able to make um, at training camp have been really impressive. I'd like to see on Saturday that translate into the game just a little bit more, but also I kind of don't want it to so that other teams don't see, you know, what he's able to do. Um, but, yeah, those are the two that come to my mind um, just off the top. Defensively, Trayvon Diggs has been an absolute steal for the Cowboys in regards and the results that he's getting defensively. I know his game continues to elevate, and he continues to be a big part of the backside of that defense for the Cowboys moving forward. The excitement with him coming back and teaching the younger guys the ropes to have the same type of success that he's had early in his career. Yeah, you know, it's been cool to see this kind of metamorphosis even over just the one year that I've been covering this team with Trayvon Diggs. Um, he is both equal parts coaching and also being coachable. If you'll notice, uh, both him and Stephon Gilmore are now rocking uh, matching Jordan cleats. I believe they're the same ones that Dak wears. Um, but, you know, they've got the same color scheme, same matching cleats on opposite sides now and you see him taking the lessons that Stefan's been teaching him and passing that on to guys like you know uh, some of those other DBs in the room Deron Bland uh, even guys like Nation Wright Kelvin Joseph who are kind of mixing around there as well 
Um, it's just been really cool to see that transformation. And my favorite part about Trayvon is he's, you know, he's naturally very introverted. He doesn't really like to be super bubbly, super over the top. Um, my conversations with him are always very pleasant, but also very quick. And I get that because he just doesn't really care to talk to people. But you've started to see him come out of his shell a little bit more this season. You see the trash talking between him and Dak and some of the other guys on the offensive line. You see him chirping at the receivers and getting involved, especially that day he turned up for what I believe was like four interceptions in one day. Um, so you're just starting to see kind of that next level um, in Trayvon, which is good to see. Dak Prescott, again, being the field general and really the, the man who ultimately symbolizes what that star on the helmet means. He, he's really paid his dues since he's come into the National Football League. Of course, here in Mobile, Alabama, we've had a chance to see him when he played at Mississippi State against our South Alabama Jaguars and then in turn had a chance to check him out at the Reese's Senior Bowl before he was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. But as a whole, Dak Prescott, Talk about what he means to this franchise moving forward. And if he wins a Super Bowl, where, or if he even makes it to the Super Bowl, where his star and his legacy will be in Dallas football cowboy lore. I think Dak Prescott has kind of already stamped out his legacy, and I know that Cowboys fans won a Super Bowl. Trust me, as someone who's supported this franchise for 29 years, I get it. Um, but I think what people don't recognize is that being the quarterback of America's team is the most difficult job in all of sports. Um, and I know that Dak knows that. Uh, I've never met a player who is more locked in, uh, a player who is able to block out the noise. I mean, this is a guy who has been through so much just on the personal side of things um, in what he's had to battle and face in the spotlight that most of us wouldn't even be able to carry on our own. So uh, just seeing what he's been able to deal with, the criticism sometimes warranted, some most of the time unwarranted, um, the way he's able to carry himself, I think that is a big part of his legacy. Now, don't let that be confused. He very much is capable of winning a Super Bowl, especially with this organization, and I know that that is on the forefront of his mind, on Zach Martin's mind, who just got paid, on Tyron Smith's mind, who his calendar is kind of coming to a close with his team, Tank Lawrence. Um, so I think these guys are hungry for a Super Bowl. I think they believe in Dak, which is really important because – most people don't, um, and so it's good to have the support of your teammates. Uh, he knows what he has to correct. The, he's talking multiple about how difficult the interceptions were last year, how missing those first five games really affected him more down the stretch than what he thought it was going to. Um, this year, he has not had an injury. He's taken care of his body really well. Um, he's gone out of his way to work with his offense, to work really closely with Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheimer, um, and I think you'll start to see that when that first game against the Giants creeps up here in a couple weeks. Talking about uh, talking with Haley Sutton with the Dallas Cowboys, look, when you talk about Dak and you talk about legacy, I'm curious, how's Dak doing? You know, him and Ezekiel Elliott had that partnership, that relationship. He's gone now. And I'm also curious, what what is the opinion of the Dallas Cowboys of Ezekiel Elliott and his legacy there now that he has gone and become a part of the New England Patriots? Well, I think in terms of Zeke, uh, you know, this franchise is going to forever be grateful for, you know, the seven years that he was here. Um, and you can't take away any of the legacy that he's established. He is third on most of the rushing all-time lists. 
uh, whether it's touchdowns, yards in total, all of that. So this is a guy who's already in the record books. He's already proven, you know, what he's capable of and what he was able to do to this team. I don't think there's any bad blood. I just think that there was no way to make the contract work with some of the other numbers that they're having to work through with the team going forward. Um, and I don't remember the first question, so if you repeat that, I can maybe have a better answer there. Yeah, just about uh, how Dak is doing. I know that they were really close, especially from that hard knocks, uh, what they showed us there. I'm just, you know, how is he doing with not having Zeke there in the locker room? Because they've been together their whole career, right? Yeah, it's definitely going to be weird, and it's weird for us, too, thinking that this is no longer a 2-1-4 team, um, you know. But uh, Dak was very candid with us a few months back um, whenever he spoke at a, a children's cancer event earlier in the year, um, and he said that it was tough. He said the news really took him, you know, by storm, and it hit all of the guys in the locker room really hard. But at the same time, that's the reality of football, and they can sit around and they can mope and, and you know, wish that Zeke was back or not wish that Zeke was back. However, you feel about it, Zeke is no longer a member of the Dallas Cowboys. And I think what makes Dak Prescott such an incredible leader is that even when you do lose your best friend on the team, you're still able to step up. You're able to even increase uh, your leadership abilities even more. Like I said before, just going out of his way to get the offense together um, out in Atlanta right before they all came to training camp um, at the end of July. That's something that you don't see, you know, a lot of younger quarterbacks doing um, and that was all Dak's initiative getting everyone together making sure that not only did they understand the playbook so that you know people like Jalen Tolbert wouldn't have struggles uh, they bonded they broke bread together they they spent time together knowing that for the next nine months they will think eat sleep and breathe nothing but the Dallas Cowboys and each other um, so I think it just, it's tough. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm, he doesn't miss having his best friend on the field, but what I can say about Dak is that there's not a ton that rattles him. And I think regardless of who's lining up next to him, uh, he's going to do his best to get it done. Well, Haley, we're excited to see what Dallas has cooking this year and what they're able to accomplish. For our listeners, how can they follow you and keep up to date with all of your Dallas Cowboys coverage? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at underscore Haley Sutton, just my name. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Um, I believe I don't know my Instagram name, though, but if you look up Haley Sutton, uh, it has a blue check. I've had a couple of people trying to uh, make fake pages of me over the week, which has been fun to deal with. But anything with a blue check is me um, on social media. All right. Well, Haley, we appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Haley Sutton, Nick, I mean, it doesn't get any better when you have boots on the ground, yeah. actually ears and eyes at all times on the Cowboys. That's right. The she's there. She's provided. traveling with them. She's seeing it all. So that's a good, good connection to have for sure. Absolutely. And the final drive, we'll wrap up our number two before we hit our talking football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner, again, we'll preview what's going to come on at 6 o'clock here on WNSP on the other side of the break. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Don't forget, coming up at 6 o'clock, 6 to 8, you'll get the Gulf Orthopedics High School Preview Show. Pigskin Pete, Brian Gennard, Michael Brauner bringing all of the local 
Baldwin County and Mobile County coaches to you. Six to eight, you don't want to miss that. And, of course, the replay again, 10 to 12 on Saturday. So you'll have two opportunities to hear the Gulf Orthopedics High School preview show coming up here on WNSP from 6 to 8 tonight. And, of course, again, Saturday, 10 to 12. So looking forward to that. Next up. Talking football, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner bringing you all the action for the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Auburn Tigers. Of course, Scott was in Tuscaloosa this weekend, so he was able to put eyeballs on what he saw and how he felt the quarterback race was going to go for sure. So it's been another great addition of the final drive. I want to thank Brent Deerman. For jumping oh, yeah. on with us from North Alabama, they have that huge ESPN game Saturday, 2.30. Of course, Chris Gordy locked on SEC and Haley Sutton of the Dallas Cowboys. She, she knows her stuff, man. She's on it. I mean, again, she's the host. And again, pregame and postgame of the Dallas Cowboys. She's sitting and talking to Jerry Jones on the weekly That's for right. sure, getting updates on that franchise that wears the star on the side of their helmets. But... Nick, you know, Scott Hunter's in the building, man. We'll get a chance to to talk to Scott about a very special nomination and opportunity that he's having coming up here for the Alabama Crimson Tide. You don't want to miss that for sure. Talking football, we're in game week coming up for college football. Week zero is what they call it. Alabama and Auburn teeing it up on September 2nd respectively against uh, UMass wh what of and these Middle week, Tennessee. Which of these week zero games and I, I do like that Brent Deerman said we're actually the first game played in America. <laughs> uh, wh which of these week zero games are you most uh, intrigued by and interested to watch? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I just want to see. I, I'm, I'm an SEC. Pro SEC. Uh, and also uh, behind Coach Deerman's game because he's a local guy that I've watched yeah. and you you've seen his staff he's got so many local guys on his staff outside of North Alabama and Mercer I really want to see Vanderbilt and Hawaii tee it off I'm excited I mean look we met some of the Vanderbilt players we talked and met with the coach so that adds like a kind of different flavor to it and a little more of a rooting interest I would say because I can be like hey I know that guy yeah and Cam Johnson from Theodore High School, That's he's right. playing tight end, so he, he may have an opportunity to start for the Commodores. We'll find that out for sure on this coming Saturday. But talking football coming up next here on WNSP 105.5. almost over and it's time to start talking football stay with us as scott hunter and tracy turner discuss alabama auburn south alabama the sec and college football around the country brought to you by bayou fasteners clutch and powertrain and jordan automotive call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the wnsp app 
Welcome to Talking Football. It's that time of year. We're in week zero officially as college football does kick off this coming Saturday as we talked to Brent Deerman, a Viger alum earlier, Scott, head coach at North Alabama. He's going to be on primetime television on ESPN Saturday versus Mercer. So Coach Deerman said, look, you know, even though I'm not going to get a chance to see the Viger versus Blunt game this coming Saturday. Coach Dearman made sure I, I wanted to say hello to you, a, a, a Viger alum as well. Yep. yep, a lot of University of Pritchard graduates out there. I call us <laughs> University of Pritchard. We're all Viger graduates, Viger Wolves. That's right. Once one, game. always one. Hey, hey, look, big game for the Viger Wolves coming up against our their rival, the Blunt Leopards. This By the weekend. way, how is Lad looking? It's looking great. the The field is immaculate, brand, brand new, new, right? Field turf, sprinter turf out there, so it, it's going to be very friendly atmosphere. Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, night Saturday. Saturday. Yes, they're going to get their money's worth early there at Lad People's Stadium. And, and I tell you guys, you know, when you look at the kickoff for college football and what they call Week Zero, the the only SEC school is Vanderbilt playing Hawaii this week, so you get a chance to to put Vanderbilt at the forefront of college football from an SEC well, standpoint. That's, uh, that's good for those fine Vanderbilt football players up there. Uh, they lead the SEC year in, year out in SATs. <laughs> they do that, Scott, without <laughs> question. I mean, you, you definitely have to be pretty uh, a smart whippersnapper to, to be Who's a traveling for that game? That's a great question, too, because <laughs> you, you sometimes you look in the stands. We were talking about that earlier to where you have definite home field advantage at Jordan-Hare Stadium. You have definite home field advantage at Bryant-Denny. But when you go to Vanderbilt Stadium, there's normally more fans adorned in the other team's colors than there are black, gold, and white. But I, I say this to <laughs> – Yeah, good point. I forget the Vanderbilt coach, but when I was doing TV and going around to all the schools and all, one of the Vanderbilt coaches said he got angry because he Alabama was playing Vanderbilt. He looked up and there were Alabama fans just covering up you know, two-thirds of the stadium and a little contingent of maybe 10,000 Vanderbilt fans. And he went to the athletic director and says, we've got to quit selling tickets to those Alabama fans. And I said, what the athletic director said? He just smiled at me and says, they're buying them and they're paying your salary. <laughs> and that, that's the great thing. I, I, I went to the Alabama-Vanderbilt game, I want to say maybe in 2018, when Tua and Jalen were battling one another for that quarterback position. And it, it was definitely, I would say, if that stadium held 35 or 40,000 people, you probably had – 36,000 <laughs> Alabama fans there. It was another true home game there. But as far as, Scott, I know you had an opportunity to get great insight this past weekend in, in a, an Alabama scrimmage. And Nick Saban came out of it, felt that the wide receivers had done a better job than they did in the first scrimmage catching the football. But I think this time next week we will definitely on paper know who's going to be QB1 for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Well, uh, maybe on paper, but still to be decided on the field. Uh, I asked Coach Saban after the 
scrimmage, the A-Club guys and the relevant club people, and now the NIL group uh, all went up there in the north end zone. And I asked him uh, his evaluation of the quarterbacks, and, of course, he jumped all over me for asking that question and so forth. Uh, but, I, you know, I told the guy beside me, I've been cussed out by Coach Bryant on the 50-yard line in front of 75,000 people. What's Coach Saban going to say? But anyway, uh, uh, right now, Jalen um, Milrow is in, you know, he's likely the starter to be named for the Middle Tennessee game, just strictly on experience, and, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but I was impressed with all four of the quarterbacks. I say four because the freshman, uh, Lalonigan, he got in it, into it too. He had some good throws and so forth. And so uh, there's four talented quarterbacks out there and uh, we'll break down as we, as we go in talking football today. We'll break down each one of them's uh, specific, I guess, talents, if you will, and, and go from there. And so, but I don't think the job really will be decided until we are well into the Texas game myself. And that's a situation to where opposite what Nick Saban has been saying. You know, Hugh Freeze went ahead and pulled the trigger. And I've talked to a lot of Auburn faithful, and they didn't think that Hugh Freeze was going to pull the trigger this early in naming Peyton Thorne the starting quarterback. Even though you come in and you, you transfer from Michigan State not having a chance to participate with the team in the spring, thought that there would be a little bit longer battle going on to where Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze would mirror one another in regards to how long they were going to hold the starting quarterback close to their vest. Well, I'm I'm trying to think of exactly the deal. Coach Freeze said that Robbie had had three of his best days of practice after he named Peyton the starter last Thursday. And Robbie threw two touchdown passes in the scrimmage on Saturday, but his completion percentage was still about the same we've seen, 53%. I think last year it was 49 or something. Peyton Thorne was 12 of 17. What's that, 66? Mm -hmm. You know, two touchdowns and interception. So let's just think about, in Tracy's mind, if Peyton Thorne throws 25 touchdown passes and eight or nine interceptions with the way it looks like Auburn can run the ball, the offensively they're going to be able to score some points to stay in game. So I think – he was ready to just go ahead and settle in, get one guy ready. It looks like that guy, someone that completes passes at a little higher percentage. He wasn't happy with the first, you know, interception, which nobody ever be. But two for one, you know, I, I just think he was ready to see how the team can gel because now they're trying to get ready offensively because they've got an offensive lineman who has stepped up, changed his body, uh, you know, 6'6", 320 pounds. He came in at about 340, and now he sort of changed the whole way he looks, which helped his agility, his quickness, and his stamina. And now he's one of the best five, and so they're trying to figure out how do they get him on the field without taking one of the others that is the best five. So they're trying Gunnar Britton at left guard to see if they can actually get their best five on the field if Gunnar can play guard, which they think he, he can, but – so that's a good problem to have. Absolutely a great problem to have. And as far as if you're Robbie Ashford and the mentality that you've had, do you say, you know what, 
you're not going to cry over spilled milk. You're going to find a way every day in practice from a competition and from a competitive standpoint to push Peyton Thorne to be the best and to to make – I believe Hugh Freeze believes in Robbie Ashford. I believe that he's the type of quarterback that fits best – in his system, but for some reason, I'm not at practice every day. He just hasn't really blown Coach Freeze away to where the versatility set. Scott said, look, he'll break down the versatility sets of, of the five quarterbacks that are on Alabama's roster. But to me, it's it's Garinger c- trying to close that gap at number three. But Thorne and Ashford have really been making each other probably better. Well, in modern-day football, you just have to complete better than 53%. Mm. Okay, so you got to be 62 at a minimum? Yeah, this day and time with the people that can run and the style of offense and the rules which favor uh, – the, the favor, the, yeah, yeah, the passing game and receivers, you know, not being able to be touched or so forth by the defensive backs. I'd say sixty-five percent is probably a pretty solid number for completion. And you're going to get a lot of quote long handoffs, you know. Oh yeah, put a guy in motion and just flip the ball to him two foot, and that's yeah. a completed yeah. pass. Or where you drop <laughs> well, back and that's throw that little swing pass, like Scott told us, he told Jay Barker, yeah. don't throw the ball. <laughs> Flick it with your wrist. And this day and time, you know, that kind of throw is a substitute uh, for the run. Uh, you look at uh, a team that's throwing uh, the little five-yard out or, or something of that nature, it's just a substitute for a run on first down uh, in this day and age. Yeah, I agree with that from a yardage standpoint for sure. And if you are an Auburn Tiger fan and the Auburn experience that you get a chance – To see Auburn Athletics has done a tremendous job capitalizing off of the sellout of Jordan-Harris Stadium. They're announcing new VIP game day experiences for their purchase. And I know that there's also been some modification to where in the end zones, you can go ahead and have a different experience and see the game from the field almost as an additional seating for Auburn Tiger fans when you go into Jordan-Harris Stadium that's a little something different for Some those, for the fan. Uh, what are they called? Suites. Yeah, uh, right when fe- you walk fe- out the tunnel. Fe- field suites. Field suites. Right when you walk out of the tunnel there to either side, they've utilized some of that space. And, and to me, every dollar that you can get, especially with the renovations, the outstanding renovations that Auburn has made to their athletic facilities to go along with that brand-new practice facility that they have, state-of-the-art everything. So why not go ahead and change the configuration? And, and let me ask you this, Tracy. For those – Traditionalist. We talked about the. You know they have some of those. You're going into that. They've done that in baseball, where they've now made some suites that literally are right on the field. So instead of a seat, you're you're watching the game from your suite. So if you can sit on the sideline and tell me what's going on, you're better than anybody I know in football. Because I don't know anybody that can sit on the sideline and look at what's going on out there and tell you specifically what they're seeing and what's going on. Well, Scott, when you're in a suite, <laughs> you're there for the experience. Well, I'm talking about, <laughs> I, I don't mean the suite down on, that, on, the, on, the, field. on the, the field yeah, thing. Yeah. So, I w- Deb and I sat there one year. I mistakenly bought tickets in the south end zone, was it? And we were down there, and I thought, I've been down here for years and years. 
playing and or TV things, and I don't want to be down here anymore. I want to be up there where I can see. <laughs> get, a, get a better view of everything. And, and it's all about the game day experience that Alabama and Auburn fans are able to have. And I know when we come back on the other side of this break, Scott mentioned to us a little bit about what he was able to see from the skill sets that are being shown at Alabama quarterback. And of course, Auburn has really addressed their starting quarterback, but we'll talk a little bit about the defensive side of the football to where I think it's going to make a huge difference for the Auburn Tigers this coming season. Talking football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner here on WNSP 105.5. You can always give us a call, 251-694-1055. We'd love to hear from you as well. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to Talkin' Football on 105.5 FM and live at WNSP.com and on the WNSP app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Talkin' Football, and we do have a caller on the line. Caller, thanks for holding through the break. Go right ahead with Talkin' Football. Hey, glad to have you guys back again. This is Jerry. Okay, I got a question for Scott. Can Alabama go through Texas using the three quarterbacks? Well, Jerry, that's a good question. Um, Isn't Texas I, coming to Bama? Yeah, uh, that game is in Tuscaloosa, a uh, night game. Um, I think it may depend on what we see in the Middle Tennessee State game. He's going to play. Of course, uh, Milrow will start. I think you'll see the transfer from Notre Dame in there. You'll see Ty Simpson in there. I think you'll give all three quarterbacks uh, quite amount of, uh, of, of time in the Middle Tennessee State, you know, expecting that it's more like, if you will, like an exhibition game. So, But I think uh, going into the Texas game, then I think you'll see from an experience standpoint, I think you'll see Milrow start the Texas game because you wouldn't want to – put a younger player or inexperienced player out there, you know, like Ty Simpson. So I think Milrow would start, you know, being healthy. I think he'll start and we'll go from there and see what happens. I, I wish I could tell you or def definitively what's going to happen with the quarterbacks, but I, as Nick said in answer to me Saturday after in the north end zones, uh, he's going to let them decide who's going to play. Scott, I want to talk to you a little bit about the skill set that you've seen here out of Jalen Milrow. Why would it be a situation? I know that the caller has one more question for you as well. He's still on the line. Scotty has another question. Go right ahead, caller. Okay. Uh, Scott, um, in your experience, a uh, quarterback coming off the bench when the game's already in progress and it, you know the players are all dirtied up and uh, warmed up, uh, how tough is it for him to get out there and, and pick up where the uh, previous quarterback left off? Well, I, I think it depends on how the game is going. The, the situations I've been in like that, uh, uh, when I came off the bench as a backup, like with the Falcons, we were generally behind, and that was the reason the starter uh, was being uh, pulled or the starter was hurt and something of that nature. And, of course, the way I treated it when I walked on the field – I was the starting quarterback, and I was out there uh, to win the game. 
and that was the that's what I exuded out there in the huddle and so forth. So I think uh, you might see a situation where in the Texas game, say early in the game, it, it going gets a little tough uh, for the starting quarterback, this being Milrow. If it does, I think you'll see Saban moving um, that, the Notre Dame transfer some, uh, getting him in the game, see how he does, and also getting Ty Simpson in the game. So, again, don't expect uh, the – the Texas game to fully decide who the quarterback is going to be, but it might help make a decision down the road. And the only thing Milrow has to do, in my opinion, he's very talented, got a good arm, uh, but he's he's late on his throws and he's hesitating because he's just not anticipating uh, very well. And, of course, it goes back to that's not the kind of offense he ran in high school. So he's trying to ramp up on that. Uh, and the Notre Dame quarterback is very talented, but he's coming from a system that wasn't four wives getting downfield in a hurry, uh, read the coverage and get on the ball. That wasn't what Notre Dame did up there. Even though Tommy Rees is the offensive coordinator, that's not the system he ran up there. So the Notre Dame transfer, he's you know, he's a little slow on getting tuned up to that kind of pass offense. Ty Simpson seems to be the one – that knows how to operate that and seems to do the best in it when he's got to throw the football. Scott, how did you feel that the running back depth situation was at Alabama? I know the offensive line is one that is expected to be one of Nick Saban's best. Of course, you've seen national championship teams to where all four and five offensive linemen have gone on and, and been drafted in the NFL. But as far as the stability at running back, the depth at running back, and the offensive line's protection of the quarterbacks and creating those holes for the running backs. How do you feel about that? Well, let's talk running backs first. I was impressed with all of them. I mean, they went four deep, Roydell Williams, and they got four deep out there. But, you know, when I looked at Mike Tindall and I were sitting in the end zone, uh, on the north end zone down low, and what I look at a running back is when he gets the ball, does he quick up, does he pick up uh, daylight and get into the hole in a hurry because, you know, the speed of Alabama's defense, a hole opens and closes pretty quick. And I saw a lot of guys getting into that crack and making four and five yards uh, pretty quickly. And I was impressed with uh, with all the running backs. Not their, you know, not so much their wide open out, out in the field ability, but just finding that little, like an NFL back does. You know, this day and time, all you want an NFL back to do is give you second and five. Mm. He's done his job if he does that. And I think the Alabama backs were doing some of that. Uh, the offensive line is uh, looks like to me it's, it's stronger and better than it was last year at this time. And I think running the football was a little bit of a problem for Alabama at this this time last year. Obviously, we, when they went to Texas, except for the 80-yard run, which kind of padded up the statistics, the rest of the day running the football was not that productive. In fact, they couldn't make a first down with a fourth or third and less than a yard. They ran it twice and couldn't make a first down. But I think that's kind of changed, and the offensive line – is being challenged up to to bring that running back game back, the running game back. So I like what I saw there. As far as who Peyton Thorne will be throwing the football to, or Robbie Ashford, Shane Hooks, 
has continued to get high marks from Hugh Freeze, especially out of this latest scrimmage that Auburn has been able to have. Tracy, you talked about being able to have success for Auburn running the football or being able to have that balance, but you definitely are going to have to have those playmakers catching the football in Hugh Freeze's offense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, go back and you can see the offense he ran at Ole Miss, the offense he ran at Liberty. The Auburn offense is going to be similar to that. I mean, think of it. He took uh, Willis, who couldn't get on the field at Auburn and became a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. And, Malik. you know, uh, Tennessee Titans. And so, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's the kind of offense he's going to use. You can look online and see some actual breakdowns that Scott and I talk about of what Coach Freeze tries to do with his offense. And, and the whole process really is to try to make a defensive player be in what's called stress. Okay, what do I do? And it's really very similar somewhat to the concepts of the old wishbone in that there was a guy on defense when Coach Dye was at East Carolina. There was a certain number 95 at UNC, Lawrence Taylor. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody East Carolina could block him, right? Okay, so you read him. If he comes down, you take it out. If he takes the pitch, you give it inside. Well, Coach Freeze is some of the same kind of thing of putting either the safety or the linebacker in stress and always trying to make you man up on the backside on his big, tall Terrence Metcalf, A.J. Brown, and then have Ingram, who was, if we remember back at Ole Miss, his tight end, Auburn has one. His name is uh, Fairweather, I think. I believe how he says it. Yeah, Fairweather, big, tall, tight end, runs great. Will be a tremendous mismatch for a star, a safety, a nickel, trying to cover him. He's 6'5", runs well. That guy's, what, 5'10", 5'11", maybe 6 foot. Or a linebacker who's big enough physically but doesn't have the foot speed to stay with him. So you got him. So that's Coach Freeze's offense. Let me try to have, like in the pros Scott talks about, a mismatch, a one-on-one, a 50-50, except I win it with A.J. Brown and Terrence and all of those guys 68 or 70% of the time. So uh, that makes it easy on the quarterback. It really does, and I'll tell you, what's not easy is really when you look at the schedule of SEC opponents week to week because what you do here – As far as Alabama is concerned, in week number one against Middle Tennessee State, you look at Auburn coming in and playing UMass in week number one. And then, of course, Alabama facing a much tougher opponent in Texas in week two. California is not a great football program, but what it will do is it will allow you to go on the road and try to find a way to be uncomfortable going into a different time zone, playing late at night. Preparing you to play Texas A&M the next week. Exactly. So so the games there that you start to see for Alabama and Auburn early, you, you really want to take care of your business early. And that's why coaches here in the fall camp have really stressed and emphasized having an opportunity for guys that 
maybe aren't starters but are going to play as much as the starters would in the second half so you can get equal looks at everyone who's going to be playing is when we come back from this break here on talking football we'll jump more into the depth chart at alabama and auburn as we are in week zero of college football week number one of college football september 2nd but boy oh boy it's here total leather this coming saturday we'll be right back Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to Talkin' Football on 105.5 FM and live at WNSP.com and on the WNSP app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Talking Football here on WNSP 105.5. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about depth charts for Alabama and Auburn. And I know that Scott having an opportunity to, to see the offensive line, the running backs, the quarterbacks. Deontay Lawson has been that name and that buzz that's been going around defensively. Not quite sure how much Deontay was able to play in the scrimmage this past Saturday, but great things are expected from Deontay Lawson, the young fellow from Mobile, Alabama, and yeah. Mobile Christian. You know, uh, across the board, I didn't have a chance to watch him specifically because I was paying more attention to the offense. Uh, my friend Tendall was paying more attention to the defense, but you know, across the board with the the linebackers, particularly the, the first group linebackers, uh, speed, quickness, uh, and what you know what they're doing, I think better this year than they were doing last year is Kevin has them tackling, tackling, real tackling. They're calling calling it bite the ball, and so I'm seeing an Alabama team now that's gone back to tackling and I like that it's something that I know that there were a lot of missed tackles a year ago yes. and, and and what's amazing to and, me and Kevin said told me in spring when when he got there and said I asked him about tackling mm -hmm. I said is it just a lost art now uh, the NFL guys are whipping it guys and such as this he said well it might be but it's not going to be a lost art at Alabama mm. That, that mm -hmm. speaks a mouthful there, Scott. But where you are here is in a situation to where a lot of people for the last couple of years put a lot of this defensive struggle and Alabama not tackling on Pete Golding because you look at the number of NFL guys that still went on to be successful. Pete Golding recruited those guys. Pete Golding, again, was – getting torched time after time after time after time. It's his job as the defensive coordinator to put his guys in positions because you, you can have a couple of blown coverages here and there, but to have as many as Alabama had against Tennessee on the same play over and over and over again, it just makes you wonder. And I know a caller may be wondering the same thing I am. Is Alabama going to be better defensively? Well, um, caller, welcome to Talking Football. Yeah, guys, uh, great show. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you remember this terminology that you used, but with him bringing back Kevin Steele, 
a few years back you used the uh, the analogy that it looked like dropping fireworks in a in a garbage can and everybody just exploding on defense. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you seeing that? Are you seeing that that drive, that hustle there, and and or, or what are we seeing on defense? You know, one because, one thing I, I saw. I mean, I know, I know, we, I know, you have to have a good offense, but still, if you don't have a good defense in this league, you will get smoked. What I saw was, and I'll, I'll hang up and I'll listen. Uh, interesting. What I saw was in the one, two, and three hole, two, four hole on the other side. You can't run the football. Alabama's defensive front guys playing in that one and three position. I mean, they just stuffed the middle. It is. They they came down to our side and put the ball on a two yard line after the you know the scrimmage had done its between the twenty stuff. Put it on the two yard line, and one time the first team defense just stuffed the second offense trying to run inside. Running back would go outside, and of course then. Kool-Aid McKenzie if somebody would knock him down. And so that's one thing I see that uh, Kevin Steele, you're not going to run the football on third and three for a first down against a Kevin Steele defense. He was the same way at Auburn when he was there. You didn't make it on third and three if you're trying to run, and, and I don't think it's going to be anything that opponent can consistently do to Alabama. So he's brought back – uh, tackling and tough inside defense, inside being from the six-hole uh, over to the five-hole. I think that's going to be important for Alabama to establish itself from a, a dominant defensive standpoint because you, when you want to get off the field, I mean, we've said it over and over again throughout the years, money down is third down. And I think that that's where Alabama – in its two losses did struggle a year ago is not being able to get off the field on third down. And and when you do have a Bryce Young that can cover a lot of the mistakes up offensively on third and long, third and seven, third and six, and they're still able to find a way for Bryce to scramble for six yards and make something out of nothing, um, I don't think Alabama's going to have that same fortune this year because, again, it's not every day you see a quarterback go number one overall in the NFL draft. Well, you know, modern college, college football is going the way of the NFL. And the way the NFL, uh, from a game plan and a game strategy, works is you plan all week. Uh, knowing what the other guys do, seeing them on video and so forth, and you've got a plan and a strategy. But when you get to the game, if different things start happening, you've got to change. You've got to adapt. You've got to get some fresh stuff, if you will. And I think Alabama was a little bit short on that, as you pointed out, like Tennessee. They probably had a good plan going in, you know, Friday afternoon, but the coach can't turn it off. Turn, turn the old brain off on, at Friday at noon. Uh, you got to bring it to the game on Saturday. Look out there and see what's going on and adjust. And I think with Kevin Steele there, that's what you'll see is a lot of game day adjustments. And Nick alluded to that in his talk. A lot of game day adjustments that, that help you win the game. And he's not going to sit back and die from a thousand cuts. Either. No. Kevin's no. philosophy mm-hmm. is aggressive and 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 hitting people and tackling and that's what he's done everywhere and and sometimes you you know you can have some big plays but it's not because you're going to sit back sort of like I'm trying to remember 
the drive a few years ago. I guess it was the uh, 2009 or so Auburn game where Auburn, Alabama is up and Alabama drives down the field throwing it to Julio mm -hmm. on the same little five and six and eight yard out and same year five and six yard out. And then before you know it, about eight or nine of those and they're down at the goal line, you know, so – Ke that is not in Kevin's philosophy. No, he, no, Ke he, he's not going to sit there and watch you throw yeah. five yard out. I was standing there watching, or sitting there watching that, and Julio's running outs. He's running crossing routes, and and finally Alabama started hitting him, and Auburn couldn't cover him. And you're right, uh, down the field Alabama went and finally got uh, Roy. I think Roy uh, for, caught a. Caught a touchdown pass for the for the for the win, but you know, so Alabama, I'm just saying I know a lot of Alabama fans have been tired of the, you know, let's sit back and keep them in front of us yeah. and let our athletes and all that. That just didn't in Kevin's. Well, you know, you know and, and modern football gives itself over to that. You know, to beat a team like LSU, uh, say in 2019, you need to get sacks in the fourth quarter. And Alabama did, made no defensive plays in the last 10 or so minutes of that game in 2019 that changed the game. And that's just – you're not going to win in modern college football if you can't do that. Questions about preseason honors. I know that a lot of Auburn fans and Auburn players have taken it personally that they have – young men that are all SEC third team members. And what you try to do is take that preseason list, match it up to your postseason list, and say, you know what? Thank you for not thinking that we were good enough to be a first or second team type of guy. Even though it is underneath Q Freeze's first year, you know what you're getting in Jarquez Hunter. You know the type of back there. And I think – from a coaching standpoint, I know as a media member, not knowing whether Jarquez was going to play and how long he was going to be suspended and what was going on in the offseason, I think that's one of the reasons that he was punished as far as being named a third-team All-SEC member by the media. But when you do look at these preseason awards that are given out or rankings that are given out, when you don't see your name on that list, do you think that gives you a reason to be a little bit, have a chip on your shoulder when you're lining up across from somebody who's first team? Yeah. I, I I don't know about those guys. I think what's the chip on their shoulder is they went five and seven. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, I know at South, I was out there for the scrimmage Saturday night. Uh, my, my son's on special teams out there, a long snapper, so the family's got to go. And, those guys on defense remember how they looked in the bowl game. If anybody watched the bowl game, they felt embarrassed. They didn't play up to their capability. And so that's the kind of thing that makes you work harder, stay later, watch more film, lift more weights. Now, that, that's the kind of motivation. I don't know about all that preseason ranking and all that, but a bad taste in your mouth will get your attention. Scott, as far as Alabama's concerned, two losses definitely leave a bad taste in your mouth and anytime you don't get a chance to play for an sec championship it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because you're watching someone else do it and you're watching what a lot of people are saying is kirby smart and the georgia bulldogs duplicate and take what was once a given at alabama for the last 15 well, years that's one reason there's two new coordinators mm. nick 
needed to make some changes in his mind, and he did. So uh, I think that's a, a good thing. And based on what I've seen Kevin Steele's defense like Saturday, I think uh, Alabama uh, I think Alabama fans will like what they see. Well, I'll tell you what. I like what I've seen between these two gentlemen sitting next to me here at WNSP because both of them are going to have an opportunity to be recognized by the institutions to where they had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears throughout their time in college. We'll give kudos to the two guys that are talking football with me here on WNSP 105.5. We'll let you know what those awards and recognitions are on the other side of talking football. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNSP Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to Talkin' Football on 105.5 FM and live at WNSP.com and on the WNSP app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Talkin' Football here on WNSP 105.5. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner joining us here as we approach week zero. That means we're even closer to kicking off for Alabama and Auburn. Of course, Auburn opening up with UMass. Alabama opening up against Middle Tennessee State. And before we get started, Auburn honoring 83-93. Tracy, talk a little bit about the excitement that it always goes about getting a chance to see your old teammates for sure. Well, we haven't seen each other. The last time we got together, Coach Dye was still alive, and we got together at his farm. And uh, I think it was like 93 of our players and coaches and trainers and everybody. And so a number of us at that time had been lost, and now we've lost Coach Dye. So this will be the first time we've gotten together as a team since we lost him. So it'll be uh, it'll it'll be a real fun weekend and. Uh, now, hopefully, you know, we don't we don't jinx the current Tigers any because uh, they'll be playing those red shirts and silver britches. And, uh, you know, that's the oldest rivalry in the Deep South. So uh, there's been so much intermingling. Coach Jordan went to all, uh, Georgia and Coach Dye come back and he went to Georgia. And, of course, Vince Dooley, a legend from here in Mobile, played at Auburn. And, we'll, you know, so that'll, that'll be a really interesting game. I think it'll be the first test for Georgia. It won't be the first test for Auburn because they will have flown all the way to California, got back, and then had to fly into College Station and play A&M. So uh, Auburn will be tested, and uh, it'll be see, good to see what uh, if Georgia is as good as everybody says they are. They're breaking in a new quarterback too. It's going to be fun. I know anytime you get a chance to, to reminisce and talk to your teammates, but you see 93 – 2003, 2013, 2023's team all coming back together once again at a sold-out Jordan-Harris Stadium. It's going to be awesome. And I know, Scott, as I, as I was doing a little research, trying to figure out what Alabama game I want to go to this season, I, I see Scott Hunter's name pop up as an honorary pregame captain. And it, it's with another famous Alabama Crimson Tide game that rings a familiar bell. Yeah, Johnny Musso um, is going to be an honorary captain. He and I are honorary captains for the Ole Miss game. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Johnny had several great plays in that game. He saved the game 
uh, on pass protection on a blitz one time by the Ole Miss uh, defensive line late in the game. And just a fantastic football play without the ball. So uh, it's all, always great to get around guys like that that I have so much respect for and who I thought was probably the best all-around player that I ever played with, college, high school, and the NFL. See, Scott, that's the type of thing you and Tracy both having a chance to be around greatness, whether it's from a coaching standpoint and SEC legends, Bear Bryant and and, and, and Pat Dye, and, and then your teammates who you were able to create that bond with and, and to go back and reminisce. Scott, uh, of course, the game in the mud. We talked to Vern Lundquist uh, a few months ago, uh, a little bit about what he remembers about that game off of the air and the classic game and the shootout that you have with Arch Manning. And I know that there's a particular game against Ole Miss, and, and I'm talking about the, the game in the mud. Is that really the collegiate game that, that you just love to see when they show old highlights? Or, or, or what what – what game is it that you really love to see some old Alabama highlights, Scott Hunter slinging the pigskin? Well, of course, uh, every time I speak somewhere at a touchdown club or so, the old Miss game comes up. Uh, Archie and I have counted it up between the two of us. 250,000 people at least have told us they were at the game. And we know <laughs> we know Leeson Field doesn't seat for 75-ish or so. so <laughs> I guess people just thought they were at the game. They were so into it. So that one always comes back. Uh, and there's a special coming out. The NFL Films has got a special coming out. And I'll use some of that game. Archie and I went last summer over to New Orleans and, and took the Tulane Stadium at nighttime and did an interview with in a, with in a interview with NFL Films, so that'll be coming out here shortly. It's just those great memories that college football does provide to us as fans, and to be able to have lived it and breathed it the way you guys did in the trenches at Auburn and at Alabama regardless of the errors of football it's still an oblong pigskin and it's still you have to kick that ball through that upright h and it's still a lot of fun because the field's still 100 yards and at this time of year everyone is undefeated and even vanderbilt is undefeated so it, it's a lot of fun when you get to this time of year and well, talking yeah, football is a lot of fun one of the things i've said over the years is um the nfl is a business mm -hmm. trying to act like it's an institution. Mm -hmm. College football, on the flip side, is an institution that sometimes is trying to act like it's a business. <laughs> but college football is an institution. Uh, and no matter what happens 100 years from now, Alabama and the Notre Dames and the Auburns and the Michigans are still be drawing 100,000 and so forth. So that that's the institution of college football. Well, I tell you what, the institution of college football this time next week. We'll be having some proof, some some score predictions. We'll, we'll have predictions, scores all coming up. High school football this weekend. It's coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Coming up next, the Gulf Orthopedics preseason season special with Pigskin Pete and Brian Gennard. You don't want to Good miss job, that. Corey. Appreciate you, my brother. We'll talk to you again here at 3 o'clock for the final drive.